0: Hi, everyone. You're watching NBC 10 Boston's question and answer series about the Russia-Ukraine war. I'm digital reporter Mary Marcos, and I'm here with Olek Katsuba of Harvard University and Maya Cross and Pablo Calderon of Northeastern University. Thank you guys for being here.
1: Thank you. Thank you. you.
0: So I just want to start by talking about the emergency NATO summit that's happening. uh, And President Biden is on his way to Europe to attend that today. Um, and he's expected to announce new sanctions against Russia, and there's been some talk about potentially even increasing the number of U.S. troops in, that have been de- that are deployed permanently in NATO countries. So I have a couple of different questions for you guys around this subject. I'll just start off with uh, what should what are you guys expecting to come out of the summit? Pablo, what do you think? Why don't we start with you? Um,
1: yeah, I think. I think what we're going to see, and I think it was—I think we've just missed the, the press conference from from NATO Secretary General—but I think the idea was to have a further uh, deployment towards the eastern flank, obviously trying to shore up the defenses on the eastern flank of NATO, which to me makes absolute sense and it makes complete sense. Um, I'm not sure if they were in, if they're going to announce any further sanctions, um, mainly because I'm not entirely sure what else they could announce. That hasn't been announced, and, and I suppose we have to wait and see if the current sanctions are taking the desire effects which early evidence suggests that that it they are to some extent uh we've seen the Russia um advancement sort of stall in Ukraine but I definitely see this being more of a message and the message is we're going to defend every single inch of NATO as President Joe Biden has said and we're going to very much be very much vigilant and move tro- troops towards the Eastern Front, and I expect that to be the message it's going to be a message of of unity It's going to be a message of defiance to some extent and it's going to be the message very clear to a very specific audience we are going to protect nato's eastern flank and i think that's the whole point of this whole summit
0: great mile yeah
2: I I, i agree with what pablo said that you know symbolically this is incredibly important and i think we'll we'll certainly see an announcement of more defensive troops and military equipment in Europe, um, again, to sort of defend the, this, uh, the countries that, that are in NATO and to sort of account for what if if this war spreads beyond Ukraine. I do think they will also be discussing, and I, and I don't know how open to the public this part will be, but I think they will be, be discussing what in their minds would trigger Article 5? And also with these kinds of recent threats of chemical and nuclear weapons, I think they will be discussing sort of in addition to Article 5, because it's a separate issue, what will it take for NATO to actually get involved militarily in Ukraine if chemical or nuclear weapons are used? Um, As far as sanctions are concerned, I think there's there's still a little bit of room left in terms of direct sanctions on Russia, and there's been some discussion of including members of the Duma. Uh, so I think more of the leadership in Russia will be sanctioned as a result of this. There will be discussion on um, how to help Europe potentially become more independent of Russian energy sooner. Um, there's There's been a threat, you know, and, and we've seen it, I think, starting yesterday, that Russia could itself cut off energy to Europe. So it's not just a matter of Europeans deciding, you know, can they afford to sanction energy? Um, they may be faced with a situation where Russia itself sort of closes some of the access um, to oil and gas. So I think this this will be part of the discussion, But but strategically the idea is that in the coming days and weeks, depending on what happens, NATO needs to be able to act quickly, and, and Putin is unpredictable. And so if they're able to kind of agree on reactions to various scenarios as part of this summit, that will be incredib- incredibly important to show strength in the coming um, period of time.
3: Yeah, and I think also maybe to add to this, I think that probably the Chinese developments are going to be discussed as well. Uh, I'm certain that President Biden will be sharing uh, the outcomes of his uh to our meeting with uh president with Xi Jinping president of China and um so the question here is you know for NATO to continue pushing China not to interfere and not to provide any material financial or military aid to to Russia uh it's unlikely that China is going to uh, um uh, uh you know put any pressure on Russia to stop the uh the, the war but at least uh for for China to abstain from any interference and provide any further support to russia i think is crucial at this at this stage um, and that of course uh, i agree with maya and, and with uh, pablo you know the kind of the other the other parts is going to be uh, potential reactions to what russia is doing or perhaps is planning to do um so number one there is still room for uh, financial sanctions not all russian banks have been excluded from swift for example uh, there are still there are still options for limiting uh, Russian uh, oil and gas on the international market, and that it's true they have been <laughs> they have been threatening to cut off Europe from from gas um, themselves. They've done it in Ukraine several times, as we know, in 2008, 2013, 14, in the middle of the winter. So they have definitely uh, you know a track record of doing that. Of course, that would be a self-destructive move. I think that they very much understand that and you know it's like a, like the nuclear option you can only do it once and after that you know your kind of your potential there is spent and then finally we need to understand that Russia has been engaging in nuclear terrorism on Ukraine's territory since the since they occupied the Chernobyl nuclear reactors there are there are you know various disconcerting news about the situation there the power ca- keeps getting cut off potentially resulting in destabilization of the, uh, you know, of the nuclear material that is still stored at the at the nuclear reactor. And then they are currently in control of the largest nuclear power plant in Europe, Um, you know, with we don't know what the consequences there could be. There have been some reports about the, you know, some kind of uh, trigger bombs and other things being set up um, at the nuclear facility to prevent Ukrainian forces from taking it back. And so that kind of nuclear terrorism, I think that's something that um, that NATO also will be probably discussing a response to, you know, talking about chemical weapons and maybe the use of tactical uh, nuclear weapons, in addition to talking about the nuclear possibility of a nuclear, you know, some kind of mishap that could happen as a result of that nuclear terrorism that Russia has been exercising.
0: And so if Russia were to cut off energy to Europe, which you guys had mentioned, and since that would be a self-destructive move, uh, what is the sort of the strategy behind doing that, Ola?
3: Well, and in, in so if we look at the Ukrainian history, right, when they did that in the past, the, the main idea is to punish the uh, the consumer, right, to exercise pressure on the uh, on the democratic society, to in order for that society to exercise pressure on the politicians to essentially give in to the russian demands so i'm sure that this is something that they will also try to do in in europe uh given their track record and uh, so in ukraine it resulted in uh, you know uh, the rise of the uh, price of the unit of gas which is 1000 cubic meters uh from 60 to like 400 dollars it Uh, later it fell again but for the short term that was the immediate outcome we know that the price of gas in in Europe has been spiking uh lately and rising as high as 1800 euros per 1000 cubic meter of gas It then again fell as we know but that could result in something similar However, the European Union has also been, uh, you know, building interlinks between, uh, you know, various uh, energy markets in Europe to prevent the possibility of being cut off entirely. So gas could flow now in, in different directions, not just one way. Um, so I think that there is some resiliency there as well, but the pressure would be enormous on, the, on those countries that are the most dependent on Russian gas. Okay. Anyone
0: have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean,
2: I just I I completely agree with that analysis. And I think uh, part of this is that Putin's goal is to divide European countries. And so we know right now that European countries have, have always had somewhat different stances on russian energy dependence and germany in particular really can't afford to cut things off right now it would need to have some sort of replacement so i think putin's goal all along in so much of this and what he expected to happen was division among the eu member states Um, he hopes that he can undermine that union because that is so much about what ukraine hopes to be a part of and not only would it show some Cracks in in the facade of European unity, but it would also probably throw the European economy into a recession. So I think that would be the strategy, despite the fact that it is totally self defeating for Russia itself.
1: Just to add a brief, like, I agree with Maya, and I think that's been the trend. What we've seen from with Putin's strategies: try to divide the West. And I think the one thing he, he didn't anticipate was how unifying. the 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 aggression against Ukraine was going to be and how United so far the European Union in particular has proven to be even Viktor Orban in Hungary has more or less told the line of the European Union and he was the closest ally to an extent of of Vladimir Putin within the EU Uh, I think also obviously we're finally exiting the winter in Europe as well so the spring is coming so that eases a little bit the pressure on European countries and gives them a little bit of time to try to find alternative sources of of uh, of energy uh but yeah I think I agree that the objective is 100 percent to divide Europe particularly a wedge between Germany and the rest Germany being the one that is particularly dependent on, on, on Russian
3: energy yeah and, and there are two I think there are two more kind of important things here to mention number <laughs> one in recent weeks Russia has been pumping the maximum possible uh amount of gas through the Ukrainian pipelines uh to Europe so that's something that goes unnoticed and even though those pipelines run so kind of they begin in the east and north of Ukraine and then run towards the west, the west they were never impacted by any shelling. So that tells you that there is a certain intent there. Number one, number two, the most recent news from London that uh, uh, possibly uh, the British government will uh, temporarily nationalize the uh, the uh, UK division of Gazprom, the largest uh, Russian uh, gas monopoly. Uh, I think could be perhaps one of the uh, triggers for, you know, this kind of renewed threats of cutting off Europe to try and prevent that from happening.
0: Okay, great. And you guys have mentioned um, nuclear sort of warfare being a potential, like potentially uh, Putin might resort to using chemical or nuclear weapons. That's sort of been a fear that people have talked about. I wanted to ask how likely is that that will, that that, that Putin will resort to that. Maya, do you wanna start with that?
2: Sure, yeah, I mean, I think as the war gets increasingly difficult for Russian troops to sustain on the ground, the likelihood of the use of chemical or nuclear weapons goes up. Um, And so we are seeing the troops struggling further and not having supplies, which is very concerning. And I think the recent use of the hypersonic missile along similar lines represents this kind of escalation in, in the same way that chemical biological and nuclear weapons would. Um, of course, there there are rules, laws, international laws and conventions against the use of chemical weapons. The Chemical Weapons Convention of 1997 um, made the use of those weapons illegal. So it is it would be a crime against humanity to use these chemical weapons on the Ukrainians. It's chemical weapons are considered a weapon of mass destruction, just like nuclear weapons. And I think on the nuclear side, one thing to note is that countries, there is of course a nuclear taboo. So countries have not um, sought to use them um, since Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But in in the interim, they have also developed Lighter forms of nuclear weapons. So um, there are, for example, um, weapons that are two percent of the force of those weapons in used in Japan in World War II. Uh, so this makes it, in a way, sort of more palatable to use the the tactical nuclear weapons because the sense is that does it really sort of strike at a taboo when the weapons are not as as strong. Um, But the the danger there is that you could then have nuclear escalation. Um, And so it's really even if if relatively light um, tactical nuclear weapons are used, they are extremely um, damaging, of course, at the same time um, and would be absolutely devastating to the civilian population. But uh, it, it is then something that then sparks potentially a kind of spiral into using bigger and more nuclear weapons. So I think in this upcoming NATO summit, this possibility will be discussed. And and of course, the international community will want to do whatever it can to avoid this disastrous type of scenario.
0: Right, Pablo, what do you think?
1: I, I, I agree. I think I agree with Maya entirely. And I think it's becoming, uh, unfortunately, increasingly likely that we're gonna see some sort of use of weapons of mass destruction. I would draw a distinction between uh, chemical weapons and nuclear weapons Uh, Part of this is, of course, it's taboo that exists about the use of nuclear weapons. And I think to a great extent, there is no coming back from even the use of a tactical nuclear weapon, which which sounds paradoxical in so many ways. Uh, But the idea is once you use nuclear weapons, that is very easy to see the escalation. It's very hard to see how the West and NATO in particular does not take action. And and we stand by and let nuclear escalation take place. Um, I do think with chemical weapons, however, Putin has a track record of using chemical weapons, particularly in Syria, and to a great extent, uh, unfortunately, again, successfully. We've seen the Syria, the Syria war has pretty much been won to the extent that now Syria can uh, divert its troops towards Ukraine. Uh, so I think uh, in the thinking of Vladimir Putin, the strategic use of chemical weapons seems to be a valid option. Of course, it is completely illegal and is it would be tragic, uh, but I, I'm afraid that Putin sees it as a, as a valid tactical option and the use of nuclear weapons would be a lot harder to justify internationally but also domestically as well this idea that we're coming to liberate ukraine and to save ukraine is going to be very very hard to sell that notion if you start actually dropping nuclear bombs into place so i think there is that slight distinction that i hope is going to take us a little bit further away from from the nuclear option but unfortunately i do see chemical weapons as a real possibility in this war which would be absolutely tragic
3: Yeah, I think from from my perspective, um, this entire entire situation, this entire escalation even more uh, supports uh, Ukraine's plea for closing the skies by either NATO or some other options. Um, And uh, I think that the pressure on NATO and as well as on other kind of military powers in the world is going to only rise in that regard. Uh, We have to remember that uh, uh, Vladimir Putin recently made a few statements uh kind of preparing the ground for the possible use of of tactical nuclear weapons and one of the reasons he mentioned was that if Russia felt existentially threatened that's a very broad definition for the use of of nuclear weapons right so we understand that Putin is a lot more trigger happy and trigger ready than uh the Western Partners and that raises the question you know if uh, if this blackmail with nuclear weapons works uh in the Ukrainian case why shouldn't it work if if he made it against poland against hungary against romania against the baltic states right estonia latvia lithuania so i think that all of this kind of the logic behind a lot of these moves you know even though it kind of it it doesn't seem logical but kind of the the general trend behind the moves that russia and Vladimir putin is making all all support the the plea and the kind of the arguments from the ukrainian side saying that the West needs to stand up to to Putin and to Russia uh and basically not giving in to uh, any of that blackmail and to be ready to actually escalate in response to the Russian escalation and so how that will play out I'm sure that will be a big a big point of discussion uh at the upcoming NATO meeting but you know the kind of the reality is that you are there the the two parties are not equally. Um, cautious in the use of this very, very, uh, you know, uh, destructive weapons.
0: Do you have any idea what sort of the global reaction would, would look like if Putin were to use uh, chemical or, or nuclear weapons, Maya? I think
2: the global reaction would be outrage. I mean, in, in the in the past couple of weeks, some of the the global attention to this war has faded a bit, I fear. And you know we're still in a really, really precarious situation, and particularly the use of nuclear weapons. I mean, I I think more about you know the Cold War or something approximating the Cuban Missile Crisis on the horizon, um, but the Cold War without the guardrails because we aren't as a society used to kind of living in this way lately, um, and so there aren't as many sort of checks and rules and understandings between Russia and the U.S. and and the rest of the world to kind of be able to read each other. Um, And and that means that a rapid escalation could occur without this kind of sense of constant communication or an understanding of the rules of the road like we had in the Cold War. Um, So I I feel as though we are actually in some ways in a more dangerous point in time than at the most heightened um, points of time in the Cold War. And yet there hasn't been as much of that concern that you would hope to see um, at the public level, probably at the leadership level, there is a lot of focus on this. Um, But certainly, if if we did see the use of chemical or nuclear weapons, I think people would sort of sit up and realize, wait a minute, this isn't just something isolated to Europe. This isn't just a Russia-Ukraine war. This is really something where the fate of the whole world is on the line here. And then we're talking about, you know, Belarus uh, potentially joining full scale, even though it's been a kind of preparation stage for Russia already, but joining full scale. And then, you know, you just really don't know what's going to happen day to day. So I think the, nuclear, the use of nuclear chemical weapons would really um, sort of shock people into understanding that this isn't something where it's just going to kind of settle in as it is right now.
0: Pablo,
1: what do you think? I I completely agree. I think it would really represent an escalation in so many ways, but more than it in sort of the ideational sense. And and what this war actually represents, which is this broader conflict that exists between um, Russia, as it is under Vladimir Putin, and, and a perceived weakened West as well. So I think this will really shift the attention back to how important this conflict actually is. And in particular, I agree with Maya, that analysis as well that I think this would be possibly wars than the Cold War in the sense that also if you look at domestic developments within Russia as well, Vladimir Putin has perhaps acquired more personalistic power and, and almost independence of action than, than leaders in the old Soviet Union had, because they still have to be sort of somehow responsible or, or, or respond to the broader the brother communist party, something that Vladimir Putin doesn't have to do. Vladimir Putin can unilaterally and in and of himself simply decide it's a good moment to drop a tactical nuclear weapon, and that would be catastrophic. And that is, I still don't see it necessarily as likely, but I, I think that's th- definitely possible. And if that were to happen, that would definitely need to wake up the rest of the world to the fact that this is much more than a conflict that will be solved in a matter of weeks, right? And it's going to be some sort of compromise, and that's it, we'll move on with our lives as if nothing happened. I, I really do think we're entering that that terrain of, paradigm shift almost in the relationship between uh, the West on one side and Russia and potentially the rest of not the West basically on the other hand
3: yeah I, I if I may add just a couple of things um um what is what I think what is important to remember here is that so we have the global reaction on the one hand and we have the Ukrainian reaction And the use of tactical uh, nuclear weapons or even chemical weapons, although although I agree not to the same extent, uh, would affect both. And the question is, what actually is the goal on Putin's part, right? On the one hand, he wants to intimidate Ukraine and he wants to conquer Ukraine and and in some way keep it in control. I don't think that the use of nuclear tactical nuclear weapons uh, on the kind of smaller scale is going to achieve that even if you know Kyiv is partially destroyed but the political government stays intact to some extent uh, or if several large cities are partially destroyed that is not going to uh, you know reduce the determination of Ukrainians in fact it perhaps is going to even strengthen it more um on the one hand on the other hand the message to the West I think could be more effective in the sense of signaling to the, the kind of the readiness to use any weapons necessary in order to achieve Russia's goals and so that indeed then kind of puts the ball in the in the West's corner and like uh Khodorkovsky, the, the Russian oligarch who was <laughs> successfully de-oligarchized by by Vladimir Putin who put him in jail right uh, as he stated the West may not realize it yet but it has been in the war with Russia for several years already it's just kind of the most recent uh you know intensification of that war and nato equally you know is, in, is is already engaged in that and so the sooner the west realizes that you know and the sooner it's uh you know starts um actually responding uh appropriately to the war rather than trying to abstain and to kind of withhold any kind of engagement uh, i think the sooner we will see some practical steps to try and actually curb russian russian ex- actions on the ground
0: Okay, great. And anyone have anything to add on that subject before I move on? Okay, so to, so tomorrow, President Zelensky is slated to address the, uh, the summit. And last week, we talked about the, I believe we talked about last week, the no-fly zone, that he was urging, he's been urging people to uh, sort of implement that. And we talked a little bit about what that would entail. Is that what we're expecting, what you guys are expecting him to talk about tomorrow again or are there new things that he might ask for what, what do we think will come out of that uh, about out of that summit uh, conversation Oleh?
3: uh you know he's been very consistent and on message which, which I think was uh you know has been very um uh effective in in kind of delivering the message to the West maybe not effective in convincing the, the partners to actually do those things but it has you know it has um in fact uh guaranteed new supplies of defensive weapons and especially anti-aircraft uh systems and so on so in that sense I think that he's probably going to continue in that same direction which is good uh on the other hand I think he will be also talking about the kind of the crisis of NATO and the reality that NATO is incapable of responding quickly to the um, to the threats that kind of emerge on its borders and so if you remember in the in in his address to the uh, congress the joint session of congress he did call for a new alliance the so-called u24 an alliance that would be able to respond to similar threats within 24 hours and mm-hmm. provide support defense as well as humanitarian aid So I think that he may be broaching that topic as well, or at least in the context that NATO is not able to do that. And of course, finally, the question of security guarantees for Ukraine. Right. Uh, We have seen that uh, so far, the security assurances that we're giving have been very ineffective. And so there is a huge disappointment in Ukraine about, uh, you know, uh getting rid of the nuclear potential that was the third largest in the world at a time in 1994 in in exchange for the uh uh, security assurances uh the other question is whether russia at all is a reliable partner in any of these agreements even if a new international agreement is is made and russia is a part of it there is absolutely no guarantee that any of that will will matter Uh, putin has shown and russia has historically shown that they see this kind of agreement as just some kind of intermediary step towards something else, and they don't—they don't feel themselves bound to it. So I think those. So kind of that's, and then the question is then: So how do you deal with that, right? Who can be that partner who will actually, you know, abide by 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 their word? Uh, so that all of that, I think, is going to be at least a part of of uh, Zelensky's speech.
0: Pablo,
1: Maya. I, I I yeah, I agree, and
3: I think. Uh, it would be discussed,
1: right, perhaps, and not in public. But I think the discussion, of course, is about the future of Ukraine as well and the future of Ukraine as a, as a member of NATO or, or as a part of the protective sphere of, of NATO. And uh, I think it's going to be at the center of the discussion as well. I still think um, NATO has done too little to help Ukraine on the ground right now. And there's a lot more that can be done. I, I, and I would expect uh, Ukraine to ask for more help in any shape where from that NATO can provide it. And I think that's only fair enough. And I think NATO should consider that as well. But I think there's also a lot of conversations to be had about the future of Ukraine and what's going to happen after this conflict. And how is Ukraine going to be integrated within the security framework of the European Union and, and the West in more, in more general terms? Uh, I've, there's a lot of talk about maybe, you know, uh, Ukraine promising not to join NATO. I, I would see that as a, as a really as a step backwards in terms of uh, you know going back to the international relations of the 1980s really from a practical and theoretical point of view in which smaller states basically have no agency and they just have to say whatever Russia or the US tells them to do and that would be catastrophic at the end of the day nobody forces anyone to join NATO right and Ukraine has every single right to ask for NATO membership and then NATO can discuss it on the side not to approve NATO membership but Russia or conversations between Russia and NATO and other powers shouldn't dictate the future of Ukraine because we, we take away agency from from these countries and that would set a terrible precedent not just for Ukraine but really for the rest of the world who's not the European Union Russia or the United States and nobody wants to see that nobody wants us to go back to that time and I really hope leaders in the West understand that they cannot negotiate for Ukraine behind Ukraine's back and try to convince Ukraine to do something doesn't want to do because that would really set us back 20, 30 years, and and that would be a terrible outcome of this crisis.
0: Great. Maya, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I do think the issue of membership in these alliances will be brought up um, at the summit. I think Zelensky has done a really terrific job at at sort of giving these speeches directly to world leaders and in terms that they can understand and that sort of resonate with them. I, I have seen some experts interpret these speeches as Zelensky saying that you know he would be willing to back down from aspirations to join NATO. I actually read that you know when I looked at the way he framed it, it was more that he was saying he has been seeking membership in NATO and the EU, but it's up to them to decide whether Ukraine joins. So it's not that he's saying Ukraine won't join. He's saying that. Ukraine's not being able to join. And so so one thing that I think would be a really great announcement at this NATO summit is for EU countries to actually accept Ukraine as a candidate for EU membership. Most of the EU countries are also in NATO, so we're talking about a a strong European pillar within NATO. Um, And Ukraine has submitted that application. Becoming an official candidate doesn't mean you have actually – You know fulfilled all the criteria for membership but it's a strong signal and there's not much in the way i think of allowing ukraine to become a candidate which would then open the doors for the eu to provide much more in the way of support and and sort of um you know financial transfers and help with democratization of course that's down the road because there's a war now membership in nato is much more difficult to contemplate and there are real reasons why Uh, nato countries before the invasion said ukraine wasn't ready it's also very poor timing to think about having ukraine join nato in the middle of this war uh, especially with article 5 there it's just it doesn't make a lot of sense strategically it would just sort of rile up putin but i do think candidacy in the eu is something that that the west and especially european countries can put on the table as a strong sign of support in reaction to all of these um, pleas that Zelensky has been doing, you know that you, you just get a sense watching these speeches as as they go on, that he does feel that there's not enough support. You know he is getting the sanctions are great, the military um, equipment flows are great. More could be done in both respects, but real political support, such as you know, acceptance as a candidate for the EU, I think would go a long way in all of this. Yeah
3: and i think you know i think that um the um you know considering ukraine's potential membership in nato right now is a huge distraction because it doesn't matter what ukraine says you know or does um uh in the sense that uh russia and vladimir putin they still go ahead with whatever they want to do so ukrainian promises have never mattered in any way why? Because it's not so much Ukraine's distant uh, potential membership in NATO that concerns Russia, but Ukraine's democratization and Ukraine's closer uh, alliance and really integration with the West. If you remember, the real trigger for the war, which started in, in 2014, was not kind of a promise of Ukraine's uh, joining uh, NATO, but the signing of an association agreement, a purely economic agreement with the European Union right and so that's what started the war in 2014 and so we have to understand that what Putin seeks is really a veto power for Ukraine or any other country on integration with the West uh, and so Ukraine in this particular case is uh, you know is, is being made an example for other countries and as you know uh you know several um Russian uh foreign foreign service officers uh, have made statements that you know that also applies to Bosnia and Herzegovina for example that also why they also have plans for Poland, Hungary and other countries, right, even though they are EU members, right. So we have to be aware that that kind of veto power, if, if it is given to Russia, uh, is going to create a precedent is going to be extremely dangerous going forward and potentially, uh, you know, provide ground for more military escalation in the future. And so I think that, you know, if we discuss the NATO potential NATO membership of Ukraine, uh, uh, you know, is just counterproductive to un- kind of clear understanding what actually uh, Vladimir Putin's goals are.
1: Just just one, one last thing. I think that, that puts the West as well in a, in a particular difficult situation because, as Oli was saying, you cannot allow Vladimir Putin to have veto powers on these things, and you cannot allow Russia to have a say in what these independent countries want to do and shouldn't do. But whatever the West does is going to be seen as a reaction to actions from russia and, and i think that was from the very beginning the miscalculation that that led to this conflict and that puts the west in a very difficult position it cannot really allow it'd be difficult to see uh ukraine joining nato but then nato kind of come and say like now ukraine is not going to be a member of nato because again it shows weakness mm-hmm. which is what to a great extent led to where we are right now the perceived weakness of nato and the west
3: exactly and i think zelensky has been actually trying to help NATO in that sense he's been saying you know Ukraine has been aspiring to membership for decades now and even though in 2008 uh, you know NATO made a promise that Ukraine will become eventually a NATO member it's been so many more years since then without you know without the actual extension of the candidate plan whatever it's called the roadmap to candidacy and so uh, he's been saying lately basically that we need we need real uh, allies we need real guarantees from our partners who are willing to provide that help if we need it right so NATO or not NATO doesn't matter is it Turkey well if it's Turkey let's make let's make an alliance with Turkey is it Poland well let's make an alliance with Poland. that's what he has been talking about about this kind of more bilateral or trilateral agreements that would allow uh, Ukraine to rely on support from allies without you know waiting for a big alliance to come to terms with the with the situation
2: Which is why I would just, you know, come back to this EU membership, candidacy, status. Um, It's like 2014 was incredibly important. Ukrainians were on the street waving EU flags. This is about the EU and democratization. And uh, there are alliances, multilateral alliances that already exist. Ukraine should not have to go to each country one by one and try to set something up. It should be welcomed in the most straightforward way possible through this alliance with the EU. Um, and and it, you know, helpfully avoids this whole pretense for war that Putin is making in terms of NATO membership, which I agree, you know, I think we spoke about on the first day. It's NATO was the red herring here. It's it's not really about NATO. Um, but because he's made it about that, EU candidacy is is sort of the ideal way to politically support Ukraine openly.
3: Yeah, I agree. And I think that we do see some more of the same countries. So we started with energy, right? The same countries that most directly depend on Russian energy are the ones who are holding out the most, right? So we're talking about Germany in particular, but also other countries. And so we have to be clear that there is a very clear connection. The corruption that spreads from, from the economy to the political sphere is is, you know, there's a direct link there. And so those who consume Russian energy, who pay less for it, are also the most affected by the Russian corruption.
0: Right. Right. Well, we are out of time today, but I am. It's been great to have you guys on to have this important conversation and continue to talk about these things. Next week, we will be back on Wednesday at ten thirty again to talk about what happens at the summit and any other developments. And so, we look forward to seeing you all then. Thank you, guys. Thank,
1: Thank you. you